He was a young man, and nobody really expected him to have cancer in his brain and ultimately to die as a young man. People expected other things from such a young man. But he did. He did have cancer, and ultimately he had several surgeries, and with each surgery, the doctor would give hope. And the man said, they would put me to sleep, but I could hear them drilling through my skull. And I could hear my brains sloshing back and forth. He was fighting. He was fighting to live. And with each step that brought him closer to death, he still fought because he chose to live as long as possible, as much as possible. And in the process, he wrote a short book called Death Be Not Proud. Death Be Not Proud. Because I fight you. I'll fight you to the very end. Death be not proud. When the disciples gather together and they're not sure what has happened because they're slow believers as we are in so many ways. Perhaps death should be proud. Perhaps they shouldn't have taken three years off. Perhaps they shouldn't have studied scripture all this time. Perhaps they shouldn't have gone from their first vocation to their second vocation. Perhaps it was too hard. And perhaps they should just dignify death by submitting to it and by saying, We give. Death be not proud. Because the Lord Jesus lives. Death be not proud, because in the midst of life and the hardness of life and the difficulties of life and the harshness of life, the Savior stands suddenly there. With joy and amazement, they don't know how he got in. Where did he come from? Who opened the door? Why was he not here before and now he's here now? Perhaps it's because... Just like in the garden, he chooses to appear when he chooses to appear. He is there, and he just chooses to show ultimately that he is there. And he was there all along, but we just didn't realize it. And he's not just an apparition or a ghost. Perhaps that would have satisfied their lack and dulled senses. No, he is a man with a body standing there saying, I am hungry. Do you have anything to eat? And when he eats, you don't see it go down his intestines. You see it somehow the body surrounds it because the body is there. With joy and amazement. It's unbelievable. And this is where it comes back to you and to me. We've studied this stuff. How long have you studied this stuff? Jesus says, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them, right there. Oh, yes. In our scene through a glass dimly, I forgot. There am I in the midst of them. He still appears when he chooses to appear. He still comes in the ways in which he chooses to come. He still comes in the ways in which he promises to come. He comes to us through the word as we study it, not to get the cognitive, but to get the faith. 
Not to get down all the declensions and the endings, but to get the reality of the living Lord Jesus. That he is there, and he is not just there, that he is here, alive, among his people. And that with dulled senses and being slow believers, we may always have trouble to believe it. And we may always have trouble trying to put the reality with the scripture because somehow we always want it to go together. We want, we want to see. We don't just want to believe. We want to look at him and touch him and feel him. And then maybe we'll really believe he's here. If he stands among us and we don't have to open the door before he comes in. But until then, well, it's not always easy to believe. And so he comes to us tomorrow in the Easter celebration, in the Mass, where he comes with bread and wine. He attaches himself so that it is for a moment we can say, hey, there is something slightly concrete, something slightly real. Maybe, maybe he's not dead after all. Death be not proud. Because Jesus has his body back. Death be not proud. Because there has been no interference with the plan of salvation. The scriptures are still being fulfilled. And just as Jesus talked with the men on the road to Emmaus, so now he talks to his disciples, pointing out to them exactly what was written. It was written that I told you everything that was written about the Christ must be fulfilled. It is written that the Christ will suffer and die and on the third day be raised. But somehow we want to get the reality with the scripture. So it, it's a, how do you believe something you cannot see? That was the problem of the disciples. That's the problem whenever we make faith. This abstract concept of innocuous, blithe sayings that has nothing to do with the fact that God is alive in Jesus. That Jesus come forth from the grave with his body. And so we reduce all that God says to the words on the page and fail to see that it's giving us a vision of hope and understanding that it embraces the history of the world and helps us to see where God came from and where he's going with this and how we can be a part of this great thing we can be witnesses to to the salvation of God and Jesus puts all these things together before the disciples so that they can somehow grasp it, hold it, believe it, understand it, comprehend it, and know for certain that Jesus is there. What part of scripture do we have trouble believing? He says, call upon me the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you will glorify me. Does that mean that that living Lord is just standing right there waiting for our prayer and he's waiting to do everything he needs to do for whatever we ask for in his name? Or did we forget again, you see? So we doubt our vocation. Do we really believe that God can lead us through by his spirit, by the people around us, by this place, by his holy word, to be certain about what we are doing? So we fret about our call. Will it be the right place? Will I get a call? Will my wife like it? Will my family be okay? Will the people think I'm doing okay? As though God were still dead. Perhaps we should just submit and say, we give. 
when all the anxieties of life run our life instead of a life living or Jesus running our life, we may as well just submit and dignify death with, we give. And maybe that's all there is. But the Lord Jesus is alive. And we have this utter new reality that he's not dead. He's among his people. He is among the people of God. He has his promises for his beloved. And his promises stand. And we are those witnesses. Death be not proud. You may have overcome some. You have not overcome us. Because we believe in Jesus and we're not going away. We have problems in the world of terrorism, the rise in religions where death ultimately does succeed. We have unsolved problems of the world here and abroad. We have rogue nations with nuclear designs, and that could come home to hurt us. We have temptation to unbelief, or we have just the problem of just plain ignoring this living Lord Jesus. But we repent and we still believe. And we still believe there's a plan of salvation for the world and it's going forward and that we are part of it. And we still are witnesses to this Son of Man like unrefined fishermen with blistered rough hands. We say what we see and what we see by faith we say that our Lord Jesus Christ lives and that the hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come forth not as ghosts but with their bodies as he has a body. Death be not proud. You're the last enemy to be destroyed. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory in our Lord Jesus Christ. Death, be not proud. We laugh you to scorn. And we will sing, we will dance, we will play our instruments until we have no more breath. And our, with our bodies, ultimately, we will see him as he is, alive, well, standing among the people of God. And our eyes will behold him and not another.